This is Good Together, the podcast that inspires you to create change in the world every day. I'm your host, Laura Alexander-Wittig, CEO and founder of Brightly, the number one destination for conscious consumers around the world. At Good Together, we value the planet over perfection and believe that you can make positive things happen for the planet every day by being a conscious consumer and an informed citizen. Listen in as I chat with various experts about living and consuming responsibly. on fossil fuels is quite literally reaching a boiling point. If you've even stepped outside this year, you know what I'm talking about. And while the likes of electric vehicles and solar power are among essential alternatives, a whole ready available solution to our carbon dependence can sometimes feel like fiction. But according to some, like Eric, my husband, who is also a former nuclear submarine engineer, the answer exists, although it's often vilified. Our ongoing conversation about nuclear energy got a boost when Maddie Hilly, founder of the Campaign for a Green Nuclear Deal, took to Twitter to dispel some myths around nuclear waste. Rather than a problem, Hilly, like Eric, considers this waste the best solution we have to meet both our energy needs while also protecting the environment. Today, Eric and I are discussing common misconceptions around nuclear waste as well as its potential to power our planet. Hey, Good Together listeners. So this is going to be a really interesting episode. Um, And one of the reasons why it's going to be interesting, other than the fact we're talking about a topic that is very, you know, newsworthy and, you know, ripe for myth busting, things like that, is because I have a very special guest today. Um, The guest is actually my husband, Eric. Welcome, Eric. Hello. Thanks for having me. So listeners, you're probably like, why is she having her husband on this podcast? The answer is because, you know, so a little bit of background. So Eric and I met in high school. Um, We are high school sweethearts. I know a little bit ridiculous, but um, we both were on the swim team. He was obviously much better than me. Um, And anyway, we kind of, you know, have grown up together. I went to the University of Texas. Eric actually got recruited um, to the Naval Academy. He was a swimmer there. And later he actually went to become a submarine officer. Um, And if you're not familiar with the way our submarines work, they actually have little nuclear reactors on the submarines um, that have to be operated by the guys on the submarines. So um, Eric like literally had to go through so much schooling and like really, really deeply understands from my perspective, um, like nuclear reactors more than I even think like act truly academics have. Like literally he would be on a submarine for like months at a time. Um, I wouldn't get to talk to him, which was terrible. I mean, was, this was when he was actually in the military. Fast forward to now, he's he's no longer in the military. He he works in tech, um, specifically at Dropbox. But anyway, yeah, I mean, Eric, I think it would be cool to just like kind of introduce I don't know, introduce the concept or like maybe how you feel like you, first of all, also before he talks, he's literally been pushing back on me recording this podcast with him forever. He keeps saying like, he's not quote unquote the expert. And I was like, 
yes, you are in some ways. Like you don't have a PhD in nuclear physics, but like, wait, why don't you tell tell the listeners about like how you had to go through this like crazy interview process, like when you were in school, like you had to like write physics problems on a whiteboard, like what? Tell them a little bit like how you got into the into the program. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so there's like a long history of it's basically just testing people's like uh, ability to handle stress. And it, so they throw technical problems at you and see how you can respond. It's it's, you know, physics, calculus, that type of stuff on a whiteboard with like an actual naval reactors engineer who, you know, is incredibly smart on this. I, I will. You know, you're like. You are not as you might be more qualified than an academic. I would say largely not. Like we learned how to use a naval nuclear propulsion plant. We understood the high level principles of nuclear physics and whatnot. I went through about between eighteen months and two years of schooling on how it all works. Versus a PhD nuclear physicist is going well, through about a dozen years and probably <laughs> knows quite a bit more. But I, mean, I understand how the Navy does nuclear power. And, yeah. And I have the experience of, you know, being close to an operating reactor for a lot of time. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, guys, he literally myth busts things all the time. Now, granted, he is a very frightening person to watch like a Chernobyl documentary with because I probably know entirely too much about that. But um, I think you know, we, I mean, one of the reasons we wanted to record this podcast is there is a lot of like fear and I think misunderstanding about like the way a nuclear reactor works, what's actually done with the waste at the end of the day. And then also I was super surprised to understand, um, about the, the safety. Our military takes a lot of thought into the way they expose people into these situations, right? Like, it's not like they're just throwing you guys in front of something that we're all really scared about and you're going to grow a fifth arm, right? Correct. Like yeah. And especially, so the Navy regulates its own nuclear power program uh, separately from the Department of Energy. And so the Navy takes it super seriously. Yes. Safety, uh, our training, it's it's very, very strict because we want to maintain that control. It allows us to operate, safely operate nuclear reactors in foreign ports across the world without people thinking two, two things about it. When a submarine shows up in you know, Korea, they're not like, oh, it's yeah, they're yeah. not scared. Yeah, it's not, not like, scared. oh, here's like a, a mini record yeah. of, of, of good safety over the last, you know, 75 years. Yeah, here's like a mini Chernobyl pulling up into the dock. Like they would yeah. be like throwing things that you like get out of here. So obviously, I think that's an interesting perspective. Um, but yeah, like I guess bringing it back and kind of like setting the stage, um, you know, when we talk about nuclear energy, you and I have been saying for a long time that this is really. Now, right now, it's an unpopular ticket out of the carbon emissions black hole. But, you know, we can talk about why that's unpopular. But I wonder if you can like to start with like the getting rid of the fear, I think, because I think most of the time fear comes from like lack of knowledge and understanding. Like, why don't we like talk a little bit about like what a nuclear reactor is and why it's a really good, quote unquote, clean energy source? Like, tell me, a tell me a little bit about like what, what goes on from an energy, um, you know, generation perspective. Sure. So a fission reactor, like we had on the submarine, it's, it's essentially, essentially just a, a hot rock that creates steam and then you use the steam to do work. So it's the same as you'd see a steam, you know, a traditional steam boiling plant. You just use, instead of using coal or a gas turbine or something to create the heat use you know nuclear energy from you know the fissioning of uranium atoms okay and so you know obviously this is a the process that can kind of go forever right like there's there's i mean well 
not really. There's fuel rods and stuff. So tell sure. me about that a little bit. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of difference between civilian nuclear power in the Navy in that the Navy enriches uranium to a much higher percentage. So the, the reactor lasts a very long time. My submarine lasted about 20 years and then they refuel it once. So you get about 20 years of fuel from what amounts to not much more than about a briefcase's worth of uranium. So it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, if you consider the amount of coal that would be required to produce oh. that kind of, I mean, we're, we're talking, talking about, about a lot of millions so very, of, yeah. very large submarine, <laughs> yeah. you know, 565 feet and yeah. incredibly powerful, all being driven off of you a know, about a suitcase yeah. worth of fuel. That's really interesting. For 20 years. <laughs> For 20 years. Yeah. I mean, so we can listeners, we can kind of imagine what the amount of coal would be required to do something like that. And, you know, obviously that's, that's kind of crazy, but so I'm not that familiar with like how uranium is mined. Like where does uranium come from? Yeah. So uranium comes in different isotopes. Uh, 238, uranium 238 is the common isotope, but within 238, there's a small percentage of uranium 235, which is what people want for fuel. Okay. Um, so the process is get a bunch of rocks that has a little bit of uranium two thirty eight in it. Yeah. Put it through centrifuges and create and, and spin out the uranium two thirty five and then enrich that, you know, continue putting through centrifuges and getting more and more uranium two thirty five. That's where they talk about enrichment. Oh, I think civilian nuclear power okay. goes to roughly ten percent. The navy goes much higher than that. Okay. That's really interesting. And yeah, like when we were doing some research or I was doing some research for this podcast um you know and of course eric eric helped but we were looking at this and yeah i mean so so typically what happens is yeah they make these um metal tube tubes called fuel rods from the uranium and typically more than 200 of these rods get bundled together to form what's called a fuel assembly um and then the fuel rods in inside the reactor are immersed in water which you know is you know acting as both a coolant and a moderator. So um, anyway, I find that super interesting. You're saying that roughly on your submarine, those fuel rods lasted for about 20 years, and then what happens? That I think this is where I think everybody could kind of get behind this first process, where it's like, cool, this seems like a pretty clean process. We know that the mining isn't um, great, and mining in general across all industries needs to have, you know, better oversights and, and things like that. But let's let's pretend like we could, you know, solve the mining perspective. Um, I think the bigger thing that freaks people out is like the quote unquote nuclear waste. Like we all have seen like cartoons uh, where there's like, you know, like I'm joking, but, you know, people with different arms and, you know, like five arms or we've heard of, um, you know, the horror stories of what happens when, um, you know, a reactor blows up and stuff is released into the atmosphere. Sure. So the, yeah, like let's, let's talk about the, like what happens after that? Sure. So, um, fuel is oftentimes stored in cement casks that are then immersed in water. It doesn't take a tremendous, uh, amount of material to shield this nuclear waste. To and make why did it tell them help. about shielding? Like, why do you have to shield that? I, this is interesting, right? Cause it's going to, it's degrading, right? Yeah. So yeah. yeah, it's 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 decaying into yeah. you know less and less radioactive isotopes over time, but it's giving off energy in the form of you know photons, gamma, uh, neutrons, etc. These things need to be slowed down with water. With any basically any material is going to slow it down, and if you slow it down enough to a point where it, it doesn't cause harm to your cells anymore, that doesn't take a tremendous amount. Yeah, you know? that's right. And actually, um, when Eric would come home from work. 
um, on, on during times where he wasn't actively deployed. He like literally had this little, like it looked like a cassette tape yep. on him um, that was like a little mini, what was it called? It was like measuring how much you were exposed to all the time, like, uh, you know, of the, of the exposed of what, like what's no. the right term. Yeah. So it's, it's, it was checking for ionizing radiation. So okay. it's basically checking like if, if this little, uh, cassette tape thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's thing. just a little monitor. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. If that gets, I need, I can't remember the name of the thing. That's okay. Right, well, it's fine. We'll, and, we'll, we'll figure out what the name is folks. We'll, we'll put it in the, we'll, we'll put it in the show notes. It's okay. Like I said, this is a, an interesting conversation. We call it a TLD, but I, I can't remember exactly what, what that stood <laughs> for. Uh, but it's basically, you know, it, as a, let's say a gamma ray goes through this little sh- window in this little cassette tape that you're wearing on your waist, it, you know, it counts that. And okay. then based on the number of times it's been hit by, you know, high energy, like radiation, you can interpret how much radiation your body got in, during that period of time. So yeah. we, we wore one of those on our waist at all times, yeah. anytime we were on the submarine. So they're, they're very closely monitoring our, our dosing. And what was super interesting was we would get a lot more radiation actually when we're in port just from you know natural cosmic radiation that's that's hitting everybody sun. all the time yeah yeah from the sun and, and from suns from all over the you know stars all over the place we would actually get a lot more radiation then than when we we're underway underwater because we were you know underwater and all the shielding from the ocean water was shielding us from most of those cosmic rays we we're only exposed to the radiation coming off of the reactor and but, it was less but than- with all the shielding that the Navy puts into our reactor, like it was negligible. Now that is crazy listeners. Like, I don't know if you caught that. We're going to like probably pull this out from a soundbite, but yeah, I mean, I think that we in general don't understand, underestimate, et cetera, the amount of radiation that we're all exposed to on a daily basis from the sun and stars and everything. From like bananas. From, yeah, every, from every, bananas. Pretty much everything is emitting radiation at, at some level. Okay. <laughs> so don't freak out. That's a little bit scary. Don't throw away your bananas. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's really funny. So yeah, I mean, I think that is like really big myth busting uh, perspective that I've always found to be really interesting. And I also remember like looking at that little cassette tape thing and, and asking Eric and like, I'm like, well, I don't know what this, um, what the amount is that you're measuring. And I remember he'd always be like, Oh my God, like the Navy is like obsessed with these with us. Like we have to wear them constantly. And it was a the, very big deal. If a you didn't, really if you big did not wear yeah. yours. Like it was a very, you big get a big deal. smackdown. <laughs> and I, I also think that, um, you know, just the fact that the Navy was so like, you know, just really, really wanted to make sure they were taking care of their people appropriately. Like, I think we all can understand like governments and militaries, et cetera. Like in my mind, um, we can debate about how like effective they are, but I'm like, you know, if they're, if they care this much about their, their folks, like you can bet that like, as this happens in the private sector, it's, it's even better. Like that's kind of what I think, um, just because of, you know, civilian, like liability and stuff like that. So from my perspective, I think this is really, really encouraging. And so we kind of, we kind of went into a little different area, but bringing us back to like the actual, like, um, like the, the waste and like the, the waste disposal. Um, so one of the things I thought was really interesting, like just throwing some statistics out here. So right now, um, there are more than 440, um, commercial reactors worldwide, including 92 in the United States, um, which again is one of the largest sources of reliable carbon-free electricity available. Um, it's super, again, reliable, it's predictable, and it's a very like 
potent energy source like yep. we were just talking about. Like, And so because uranium, these fuel rods we're talking about, are very energy dense, the volume of waste is relatively small. We talked yep. about it's like, you know, Eric was giving us the briefcase analogy for a submarine. Um, and when there's a very big submarine, I went on it. I was kind of blown away by how big it was, but then also like small when you got in there, the actual place. But anyway, um, so just giving us another like visualization um, when we talk about like how small the volume of waste actually is. So we found this interesting statistic that said, all of the fuel rods ever used by the commercial nuclear industry since the late 1950s could actually fit on a single football field stacked about 50 feet high. So like, that's pretty crazy. I mean, like, that's a very, you know, that's how many years ago, like 60, 70, like, that's a long time. And from my perspective, um, I, you know, if we're, we're talking about getting away from um, you know, coal and gas and, and, you know, being able to do it from a relatively responsible perspective. I think it's really interesting. Absolutely. Like we're, ba you're basically concentrating waste in a very, you know, tight space versus, you know, most of our traditional dense energy coming from gas turbines or coal power, any of that stuff. You're basically just sending your waste throughout the whole earth. Yeah. So it's like, would you rather contain all of your waste, which ooh, it's scary waste, it's nuclear waste, but it's very well contained in a small space. Or just kind of let it go throughout the whole earth. I think I'd rather know exactly where my waste is. Yeah, that's true. Um, and the other thing that I thought was really interesting I didn't know about fuel rods is, so when fuel rods are done in the reactor, um, over 90% of the potential energy from the re uranium is actually still left in them. Did mm -hmm. you know that? Yeah. I mean, I would think you knew that, but that's kind of crazy to me. So what happens? We, you you know, is it do people get to reuse these? Yeah, things? absolutely. Yeah. I think. Other countries, I'm not sure if the United States has a big program for recycling uh, nuclear fuel because obviously there's a big contamination concern once you get into those fuel rods. Oh, okay. Um, but it is done in other countries. I think Europe does it. I think Japan does it. Um, because, yeah, you can extract a lot of this, you know, very energy dense, very expensive to create material yeah. um, in, in, into new fuel rods. Yeah, that's really interesting. And then, um, so we, you know, at the top of the episode, when I was doing the intro, we talked about this like Twitter thread, which we're linking to in the show notes. But I think it was funny, like there was, you know, a bunch of myths uh, getting busted about nuclear waste. Like, so we've, we've kind of already talked about them, but I'm going to go through this list because I thought it was funny. So like, yes, nuclear waste is not glowing green goo like we've seen in cartoons. It's solid it's very small. It's tiny compared to the waste from all the other energy technologies we talked about. Easily contained. And then this is interesting. It says it, quote unquote, has a perfect safety record. So what does that mean? Like a perfect safety record from dealing with the fuel rods? I would assume whatever it's referring it's from, to. It's from the Twitter thread. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, perfect safety record is people haven't been harmed by the waste of nuclear fuel. We store them in, you know, I think big cement casts, which are then immersed in pools of water. Yeah. And even if you were to swim in those pools, like unless you're like right next to the fuel, which is, you know, probably 50 feet on the ground or below ground, you're not going to get any radiation. So it's it's just very safe. OK. And so, and, I mean, that's really interesting. So tell me a little bit about like the scary stuff, though. Like what was hap what happened with the Chernobyl or, um, you know, situations where, you know, people and the environment were harmed from a nuclear reactor like can you tell us a little bit about that? I mean, what, what was happening? Sure. Well, there's in a really simplistic there's, perspective. There's obviously a lot of different designs yes. for nuclear power plants. Yeah. Uh, the Navy, the United States and, and most of the world, and I believe even Russia at this point, uses a very safe 
uh, technology for nuclear power that has a negative coefficient of reactivity for uh, of water. So as the basically as this hot rock, the nuclear reactor, as, as it gets hotter, it gets less reactive. So okay. that kind of pre- it's like a negative feedback loop that prevents the reactor from going supercritical and causing, you know, basically flashing the water to steam and creating a big boom. That's, you know, that was ultimately what happens at Chernobyl. Okay. You want to keep that core covered with water all the time. If it's not, it causes problems. And they didn't, yeah, that was it, right? They didn't have the cool water happening or. They were doing some testing that obviously would never happen in a modern nuclear power plant. Yeah. Really pressing their plant and made some operational mistakes that that caused their core to come uncovered and obviously those operational mistakes are like drilled into your head when oh, you're yeah. studying no, this yeah. right oh, yeah. like oh God. Well, i mean we the, the reactor i was operating on we couldn't do it would be impossible it was designed differently mm-hmm. and there were so many safe automatic safety features in place that it would be impossible for us to get to that spot but at the same time we're all trained on how to deal with all these different casualties even if it's start, even if your, all your yeah. systems were to go down okay like, it, there's like many many layers of safety yeah but yeah. And I think that's the key is like, we obviously, if you know, to build nuclear power plants, you have to build them in a safe, inherently safe manner. Like idiot proof. Yeah. You know, like you get the was, smartest people to yeah. operate them, but then you build them in a way that even if those smartest people make mistakes, that it doesn't cause a disaster. Well, that was like what, so when I, I told you guys earlier, he was a terrifying person to watch the Chernobyl stuff with. That's actually not really true. I mean, I think there was, there's some parts like where, when, when they were showing the worst case scenario, that's where it was terrifying because I was like, you know, when you're seeing like the impact on the environment, I was like, oh, surely it's not that bad. Right. And he's like, oh yeah, it is. Cause he knows like about what could actually happen. But he also was a very reassuring person to watch this with because of what he just talked about, which is like, when you watch, I, I was it called Chernobyl, which is the one I'm thinking of. It was yeah, on Netflix. I think so. Um, but yeah, like when you watch the show, it's, for somebody that doesn't isn't familiar with like how these these reactors work, even the show I felt like did a decent job at showcasing like how they went wrong like in so many ways. Like there were yeah. like you have to make five, many, many yeah mistakes. yeah there were like five different levels of like fucking up. Pardon the French, you know where then it finally all resulted in this meltdown. It was and like, ba- to back that up, they had a inherently unsafe or not, I can't say unsafe. They had a design that required operator action to keep the plant safe. Yeah. And they didn't take that action. So there was so, all these things yeah. and then they didn't do that. And it yeah. was watching that show, you can kind of see the drama behind it because what there's like that one guy who's like, oh no, like they didn't do all this stuff. So he's like, anyway, it, it's a very interesting show. I would tell you to watch it if you're curious about some of the stuff that we brought up. But again, it's also going to freak you out because it's an example of like something that's not going to happen again. Like it's literally... I mean, it's, it's just, it's not, not with all of the, um, you know, all of the safety measures that are, you know, happening now. And, um, you know, it, it's certainly, yeah, certainly not going to happen again in my, in my perspective. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've kind of talked about like, you know, I mean, I think you've done a really good job about explaining this technology to, um, you know, what they used to have those books like blank for dummies. I feel like this is like nuclear energy for dummies and I'm calling myself the dummy listeners. You are not. Um, and so I, I feel like I've come away with, even after doing the research, I feel like I have a better understanding of what's going on, but to kind of close things out, I'm curious for us to talk a little bit about like 
um, there, there's something called the campaign for a green nuclear deal. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of these goals and I'd sure. love you to kind of react, Eric, like if you feel like these seem realistic. Um, so in summary, the campaign for a green nuclear deal um, basically says, quote unquote, it is a nationwide advocacy effort to articulate a new vision for nuclear growth as a way to regain American industrial capabilities and create dignified jobs in clean energy and manufacturing. So for me, that statement is, is saying not only, you know, could we utilize this, um, you know, nuclear energy for like just pure, you know, consumer consumption. It's like they're trying to talk about it from a manufacturing perspective. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. yeah, obviously it takes very smart people to operate these plants. It takes very like the best welders to weld mm, these, yeah. you know, the welds in a nuclear power plant have to be perfect. So you get this level of welding that that is we don't have it yeah, anymore yeah. We, you know yeah. and if if you let that skill set dec- decay with like unfortunately we kind of have in this country it it's hard to get that back it takes a long time to train up a, a workforce that that can hand that knows how to weld a nuclear power plant yeah i mean right. so that that i that's thought that's one instance. yeah that's like really interesting and yeah i mean so part of this is you know part of the tenets of the this deal is education specifically Absolutely. like education and creation of jobs um, in the event that more reactors actually come online. So I think Eric made a really good point. It's not just like everybody has to go to school to be a nuclear engineer. It's like there's so many um, related yeah, jobs, crossover, crossover yeah. jobs, like people that know how to weld, probably a lot of like concrete people. Sounds like there's a lot of concrete that's needed and, you know, and, and stuff of that per, of that nature and like, you know, um, like facility type engineering and stuff. Absolutely. Like really I mean, there's a... Yeah. But my first job out of the Navy was working for Facebook and data centers. And there's a very strong pipeline between, you know, operators of nuclear power plants and running data centers. There's a lot of crossover in that critical facility mindset mm. that, that's that's favorable in a lot of different industries. So it's it's just you're creating, uh, you know, good jobs that attract, you know, smart people. That's awesome. Um, and, you know, another part of the plan is, you know, they're they're really advocating to grow the share of U.S. electricity from nuclear power to 50 percent by 2050, which, you know, that's a big goal, um, especially it seems kind of hard to think about considering our current infra- infrastructure. But, um, you know, in addition to uh, helping with the education and job creation, like we just talked about, they're also, um, you know, looking to protect existing nuclear plants. Um, it says America, the, just our notes is, are saying America's fleet of nuclear power plants is our largest source of carbon-free energy, and it provides almost 20% of the country's electricity. So I guess if we're Try and go from 20 to 50%. It's a little bit better than I thought. We're not going to zero to 50%. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. And I mean, 2050 is obviously a long time. There, yeah. there are other technologies. We're talking about fission right now, which is, you know, that's the nuclear power of the last, you know, 70 years. There's also, you know, fusion. That's It's a different technology. It takes a different type of fuel. It's, you know, basically takes, high, it, it has an limitless fuel. It's creates a lot more energy. It takes a little bit more, um, you know, it's been a tough cookie to crack if you will yeah for us to get this technology right but there's a lot of promising work in the fusion space uh happening by you know takes governments working together to 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 harness this technology that you know i i feel like if if fusion takes off like that's that's our ultimate source of clean energy that you don't even have the problems with uh this waste that we're talking about it's it's just like high highly dense um nuclear energy and it just it doesn't create waste wow yeah, that's cool. Well, hey, like I should have to do a whole separate episode on that one, but that's really interesting. Um, so yeah, listeners, we'll we'll link to that um 
in the show notes. And yeah, maybe we will do a separate episode because I don't want to confuse people, but you know, I don't want them to like listen to this episode and be like, oh, it doesn't create, you know, the current systems don't create waste. So like separate, but also very promising technology. Very cool. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of the main, those were the main points we wanted to cover. I think just to kind of close out the episode, like we do, um, you know, we like to leave people with actionable tips um, in terms of, you know, being able to kind of move forward with some of this knowledge. So I think like first tip I would have is just, yeah, just learning a little bit more about the space and like trying to not default back to that like old mindset of like being scared of, of this, uh, you know, of this technology and, and really seeing it as a necessity for, you know, maintaining life as we know it, um, from an energy perspective without having to continually utilize, uh, fossil fuels. Like it's just, if we are to not have nuclear energy and not have fossil fuels, what are we going to use? You know what I mean? Like there's geothermal, there's, you know, wind energy, yeah, solar and wind is solar. great, but it, it's yeah. just, you know, they obviously, if the wind's not blowing, you're yep. not getting energy from, you know, wind power. And climate change has worked, you know, has, is wreaking havoc on weather patterns. So yeah, I mean, just there, there's just a lot of like unknowns. So I think, um, nuclear energy as a part of that puzzle is really important. Absolutely. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of like changing misconceptions. So like in addition to having people like you listeners listen to this and, and, and start to kind of change our mindset, I think there's also, you know, ways that we as a society can can open up a little bit more. Like, um, for instance, in the Netherlands, the Netherlands have literally like opened up certain nuclear um, energy facilities. And there's like an educational museum in there. There's like art installations and like hands on type, um, you know, exhibits where people can like show up and like understand what's going on. I mean, I think that's a good idea, right? Yeah, Why not? I think they let people walk around where they have these spent fuel rods really in the Netherlands in the pools wow and you can be like yeah you can walk right around and you can measure how much radiation you're getting from that spot and it's it's negligible it's just like people need to understand that's not this super scary thing yeah you can't see it you aren't going to see the radiation but it's it's not it's not there like we we just need it's all about education people are afraid of stuff that they don't don't understand yeah it's just like anything else yeah so just more educational people will understand it and you know be willing to this is you know it's it, talk to your congressman talk to your senator like we, we want more nuclear power in my opinion yeah no mine too um and yeah listeners like i said i got a chance to go on um eric's submarine i was like blown away at just the whole functionality of the thing um but yes i mean like i i didn't feel afraid when i was walking around obviously they didn't let us anywhere near <laughs> the reactor there or you know the missiles yes yes they're you know they're that that was a thing um, but they did not let us anywhere near that. Um, but anyway, like, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Eric, I know you were, like, a little nervous about joining us. I think you did a great job. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'd love to have you back talking a little bit more about this. Um, but, yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. joining us on another episode of Good Together. To get show notes and more, head to brightly.eco slash podcast. And as a special thank you to our listeners, use code GOODTOGETHER to get 10% off 
all products in Brightly's brand new shop full of planet positive swaps for your home. Finally, don't forget to join in on the conversation with us on social, where I know you can find us at brightly.eco. Don't forget, we're all on this journey together, so have fun putting the planet first and stay curious.